Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Pomsford. This week, we're learning all about launching in a time of turmoil with Semaphore. Joining me on the podcast sofa, we have a press reporter, Bron Mayer. Hi, Bron. Hi, Dom. How are you doing? I'm good. So we've got a good interviewee this week. We've got the CEO of Semaphore, Justin B. Smith. Is that right, Bron? That is indeed correct. I was very excited to speak with him. Semaphore was kind of one of the most hotly anticipated launches, I guess, of the last year. Quite a big US news site. Tell us a bit of the background to it, Bron. It's got some big names involved, isn't it? Back in, I think, early 2022, Semaphore, what would come to be known as Semaphore, had quite a lot of buzz ahead of launch because it had A, Justin B. Smith, who was the CEO of Bloomberg Media, among various other high-ranking media executive positions, and Ben Smith, who had been the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed News before becoming the media columnist at the New York Times, and then he left to go and launched this big old new venture, which would be targeted at, early on, they were saying 200 million college-educated English speakers around the world. So it'd be like this sort of a high-end news product targeted at, you know, all around the globe. We checked in to see how that has evolved and whether they're still going after that crowd, because that's a lofty goal. It kind of compares to the Messenger's launch (laughs) in a funny way. So the Messenger's the other big launch, isn't it, and more recent? Again in the US, and again targeting a sort of upmarket readership, I think, and again with quite heavyweight journalists involved. Yeah, The Messenger has launched and taken, I guess, much more of a kind of mass market approach. They launched promising to be something like, I think, cross between the Daily Mail and the Washington Post or something to that effect. And so solidly mid-market, and they've ended up going hard on SEO, on high-volume stories. They're throwing loads of money. They've got a really big staff, whereas Semaphore launched with about 60 staff, I think. And as Justin ends up telling us, they're being rather more cautious with the way that they're spending their cash, it seems. It's an interesting time to be launching. So website traffic broadly down at the moment and that's partly due to a thing to facebook kind of not being interested in news anymore online ad revenue broadly down for most publishers and economic picture it's not too bad in the us is it but it's still a little bit bumpy isn't it they've got reasonable economic growth in the us so we shouldn't look at the economy too much with our sort of european um spectacles on where things are a lot rougher over here true but you know we've still got tons of layoffs happening over in the states yeah 
But I think interesting, isn't it? So I think going back to 2008, we're nowhere near sort of 2008 level at the moment, but 2008 was a big downturn for the media, but a really tough time for the legacy media, if you like. And lots of interesting things launched around that time or shortly afterwards. Thinking BuzzFeed, HuffPost, Daily Beast, just a bunch of different websites launched. Quite a few of them are still around and quite a few of them have fallen by the wayside. So yeah, downturns often a good time for some reason to launch uh, new things. I guess it just depends whether they've got the funding in place and whether they're making some money. So let's hear from Justin about how Semaphore was getting on and how it's turning a buck. How did you kick off the interview? Started off with some quick fire questions and then I launched into more on the business of what does Semaphore look like now that it's eight months into launch? First off, besides Semaphore, where do you get your news? The Financial Times is a, a big primary read of mine. Twitter is a, is a big primary read of mine. Bloomberg, my alma mater, where I spent almost nine years running their media division, is a very big part of my media diet. So you can sort of you know connect the dots here. It's global quality journalism, focus on business, then politics and technology. And you kind of answered one of my next questions, which was, do you prefer Twitter or LinkedIn? Twitter is definitely declining in my media diet. Uh, it was interesting to see this weekend's Wagner semi-rebellion or te- temporary rebellion and to see the difference of the, the differences in the Twitter experience than from in the past. I think, I mean, there was still a lot of activity there, but it was just, it was, you had entered into that that user experience, not being certain that the sources had been reviewed, had been validated. And while there were some great voices on there still, there was a sense of insecurity around the platform. LinkedIn has been a big overall, I'd say over the last couple of years, has been a big growth in terms of my consumption of it as a news and information source. However, it's a little bit almost a parody of itself now in terms of people sort of, what's it called, humble brags, you know, when they say, oh, just wanted to share that Someone said I was amazing today, but I, then I'm guilty of doing that too, so I can't be too critical. And if you had to be trapped on a desert island with one or the other, would you choose to be stuck with Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk? Oh, Elon Musk, definitely. My God. How come cool. that was such an easy decision for you? I think it's just about the conversation poss- possibilities and the kind of the, the vast crevices of a person's mind. You know, Elon's totally fascinating, and I've never met him, but... That's an easy call between those two. I'll see if I can organize that for the next big Press Gazette feature. Yeah, no, on an island. Not top of my list right now. <laughs> Understandable. But Elon, but Elon is a fan of Semaphore because I know he was tweeting at us very early, which was very helpful and for which we thank him. So we might get onto that in a bit. So you kind of alluded to this already. Your pitch for Semaphore about a year ago was that it would be a new site for the 200 million or so college-educated English speakers worldwide. How now would you pitch Semaphore to a potential reader? Semaphore is a modern 21st century, highly intelligent, global news and intelligence service for smart, educated people all around the world who want to connect the dots and understand at a deeper, more complex level, the forces that are shaping the worlds of business and politics and climate and media and more and more, which is not a different pitch from the, from the original vision whatsoever. I think that the thing that's evolved since we, since Ben and I first left Bloomberg and the New York Times in terms of how we talk about the audience 
is the superimposition on top of the long-term vision, which of course is 200 million college-educated, English-language-speaking readers. That's exciting. And that's what we see over the next five, 10 years. But you have to superimpose onto any original, bold, long-term vision, an intelligent architecture around sequencing. How are you going to accomplish that longer-term vision over time? And what we've done in our first eight months since we launched in October of 2022 is really focus on stage one for us. Stage one means not trying to do everything at once, means not trying to reach, obviously, all of those 200 million at once. That would be impossible. It would drain the coffers of Semaphore in, in about a day and a half if we really tried to do that. Uh, so we focused on, on really just two geographies, the U.S. geography primarily, which is where about, I'd say, almost 90% of our resources are allocated against because lo and behold, this is not a surprise to your, your informed readership or listenership. The U.S. is 60% of the global premium news marketplace from an advertising and subscription perspective. And so we, we recognize that and realize that if you want to build a global quality news brand for the 21st century, you have to have a strong U.S. presence. But we, we're deeply committed to our international mission and our global mission, which is embedded, frankly, in our domestic products in the U.S. as well. And so we chose to go to, to, go to the least developed media market in the world, actually sub-Saharan Africa, where we've launched Semaphore Africa. And we chose that market because it represents one of the great horizons, probably the biggest horizon of opportunity across global English language news media. Uh, 1.4 billion Africans, uh, the demographic growth of the next 10, 20 years are gonna, is going to be explosive. And most importantly for us, not a lot of competition from the existing global English language news legacy players. Uh, we now have almost 10, 12, maybe 8, eight 10, 12, not Kevin, Kevin kept count, journalists across the region, bureaus in Lagos, bureau in Nairobi, a bureau in Johannesburg, and journalists across the region. And uh, I know that's a much, much larger news gathering operation than esteemed places that like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the FT and others. And Bloomberg and Reuters have big presences in Africa, as does the BBC and, and actually CGTN, the Chinese television brand. But we very quickly have built a really powerful audience, both in the continent um, amongst the African kind of rising professional class, but also all around the world for those looking interested in learning about Africa. Great. And the New York Times reported last month that uh, Semaphore has already booked $10 million in revenue, predominantly from advertising and events. Was that mostly advertising or mostly events? It's about a 50-50 split right now, but I wouldn't, wouldn't count on that number necessarily being static at that. I think what's important about that number is actually the relative size of the events business for us versus our competition. I think any mature global news competitor with events business if they're good and aggressive about the events opportunity, will have, I'd say, maximum 20% of their revenue tied to the events piece. Obviously, we're smaller, so it's going to be a larger piece. But most importantly, it's just a bigger priority for us than it is for other news publishers. We see the live journalism space as one of the most exciting, also one of the most profitable, and that's really important to say, most profitable lines of journalism available to a publisher these days. It's, I oftentimes say it's the highest profit margin business you can be in 
adjacent to quality journalism. And so that's a good thing for a startup to jump into the high profit margin areas. And so we've done 30 events to date. We, I think we did like eight before we even launched our editorial properties in October. And all of them have been very profitable. And so as a new company that's really focused on building a sustainable, profitable business model amidst this the carnage of 2023, of course, that we see where all the scaled you know, media defined by unrestrained growth and, and mass audience aspirations, we're going in a very, very different direction. And we're really focusing on, 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 on building a sustainable business model as quickly as possible and then scaling from there. So events is a fantastic way of doing that. And, and we're really proud of what we've done so far. And had you realized in advance that events could be quite this profitable? Was this something you kind of stumbled upon once you'd already started the project of Semaphore? No, in fact, not that this is totally interesting or relevant, but my whole career in news media has somehow had the threat of events have been ever present across many of the models that I've uh, been involved in, many of the brands I've been associated with from the the Atlantic, which built one of the, the great opinion leader events businesses in the U.S. about 15 years ago, for things like the Aspen Ideas Festival and the Washington Convening Business, to my time at Bloomberg, where I played a big role in architecting Bloomberg's very successful events business now, including the signature New Economy Forum, uh, which is a project that I led and built there, which kind of redefined leadership convenings on a global scale and been a, a great source of influence and commercial success for Bloomberg. So it's been a, a theme of my career. And, and I guess that's how I've come to understand the business very well. And obviously, why I prioritized it at Semaphore. You said that it's high margin. What kind of margin are we talking here? You know, I think that uh, it depends on how you run events, but this goes for how you run a media company generally. I mean, I think startups need to run very lean. And so we can, we've seen some events actually with margins around 75%. 50% is a sort of a standard industry metric, I think more from the B2B world. I think publishers with costly journalism and bloated cost structures, legacy publishers tend to see events margins more like the 25 to 30% range which is good relative to other revenue streams, but I'm aiming for higher than that and we've been successful so far. And moving on to a different revenue stream, I noticed looking around Semaphore's website, which I will ruminate on at greater length in a moment, but one of the first things to strike me is, I think I'm correct in saying that there's no programmatic display ads on Semaphore, right? There is not. There How is not. It's, that's not to say that we won't experiment here and there. I mean, but no, there's not programmatic display today. And the reason for that is it's a pretty straightforward kind of decision-making equation. On the one hand, if you're a relatively small audience footprint, I mean, we're about 2 million uniques a month in month eight, which we're thrilled about. I mean, we're regularly seeing 100,000 uniques a day coming to the website and it's growing obviously very rapidly. We're also about 2 million, maybe 3 million uniques offsite with just some of the partnerships that we have. So with a total unique user estimate, this is a very broad estimate of four to five million, but the own and operated is just two million of that. And it's not a it's not a great amount of revenue that you can generate on 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 programmatic for that size of an audience. On the other side of the equation is the impact on the user experience, on the UI, the impact on the brand. Semaphore is a very premium, in many ways a luxury brand targeting, at least in this initial phase, very much targeting the top of the pyramid, opinion leaders, C suite influentials. And there's a downside to to 
somehow p- polluting the product with too much advertising that, that's not in line with the brand position or the user experience. And on a similar note, I've noticed looking around Semaphore that it browses kind of unusually for a news site as far as most news sites, you'd be able to scroll back through the news archive and they'll be filled with a lot of like internal links and a lot of keyword loading, basically optimizing the website for the search engines. And it seems as though Semaphore has eschewed that. Is Would I be right in saying that? I wouldn't say definitely not eschewed the search engine optimization opportunity as a whole. No, I mean, we definitely have done a number of the kind of the core foundational things to do that. I would say what you're witnessing is a young business that's prioritizing newsletter distribution and newsletter engagement and newsletter monetization and the direct relationship with an audience that 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 brings about and the, the premium advertising that that brings about and the first party data that brings about. And so I'd say it's fair to say in our first eight months, when there's ever been a, a product or technology or resource choice between newsletter or web, it's inevitably been, we've chosen newsletter. That'll change a little bit over time. I think we're seeing a kind of return to 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 the homepage, a return to web browsing with the decline of social media. And so I think you'll also see us diverting some more attention to our website uh, over time. Uh, it's also because our newsletter businesses are booming right now and, and have built really strong audiences. We're you know, well over 400,000 subscriptions in eight, eight months. That's over 300,000 individual subscribers and really very highly qualified opinion leader audience. I think it's 19% C-suite, very high net worth. And just just exactly the type of the desirable audience that we're looking for at this initial phase. So, you know, the focus on newsletters is paid off. And of course, we have that direct relationship and, and we're building from there. How close would you say we are to the paywalls going up around Semaphore? I'd say it's not in the sort of the, on the, in the short term or even probably medium term product roadmap. We've always taken the view that and but by the way, there are many there are many ways to skin the cat here. You can, I mean, if you look at what Jessica Lesson has done with the information, and obviously what other brands are doing that are focused on subscriptions from the very get go, that's a very reasonable approach, and it's an approach which has proven to be successful. It's an incremental approach that requires you know a great deal of patience, a great deal of focus, a very long term uh, horizon, which we have. Uh, but we felt that there's another path which is not anti-subscription, but rather more about again about sequencing, where we could focus on very premium, high value advertising, uh, mostly focused in the corporate reputation, corporate brand space, which lends itself very organically and naturally to the convening of leaders business, which has been, a, which is half our revenue, and that we could build our brand and build our journalism and fine tune our products and sharpen our sort of our value proposition to readers with those two revenue streams as our main focus. And then over a period of time, when our brand's more established, our journalism's more, more evolved. And yeah, I'd say the, the product market fit, to use a terrible piece of jargon, is, is more complete then at that point, you'd be in a better position to, and you also have a big audience at that point, that in a better position to transition to, to, to paid subscriptions. I've no doubt that at some point we will do that. It's just, we prefer to go this way than some others. Great. And I'm interested, you, obviously you've mentioned that you've got like some pretty high margin businesses going on. 
Are you approaching yeah, probability or do you have a timeline for when you're kind of intending to get there? Our thought is we built out an initial platform, if you will, about 60, 60 to 65 employees, two regional editions, as I mentioned, the U.S. and Africa. You know, about more than half of that employee base are journalists, truly exceptional journalists. I think I should tell your, your listenership that if you haven't heard of Semaphore, I mean, Semaphore really has hired some of the most outstanding, exceptional journalists in the international news business, from Ben Smith, our editor-in-chief, obviously, who's a co-founder with me, to Liz Hoffman, who came from the Wall Street Journal, who's our business and finance correspondent, who's broken some huge stories. I mean, really, actually beaten my old alma mater, Bloomberg, on some of the biggest stories of the year, like, like the Microsoft acquisition of ChatGPT. But also Reid Abergati, who can't join us in the Washington Post, who's crushing it on the AI beat. And uh, anyway, so we, we built this original team, two regional editions, U.S. and Africa, and then 10 vertical newsletters. Again, it was quite well thought through. Uh, we wanted to establish this sort of beachhead, if you will, of meaningful products and products of breadth, if you will. And, uh, and now our, our, our plan or our plan all along has been to just monetize that initial investment as effectively as possible and bring the organization to a, a sustainable, profitable model before expanding beyond that. And so, you know, we'll see when that is. I mean, we're, we're certainly going to see a profitable month in this year, and we might even see a profitable quarter uh, in our first year. But full year is a different story. And But we're not going to be chasing, chasing the dragon, if you will, by getting closer and closer to profitability and then investing more and more, chasing scale, chasing, you know, more areas. We've got quite, quite a significant portfolio of products. Now a very, very powerful audience and lots of inventory and opportunity to monetize. And so uh, we're excited about that. And that's our focus right now. You've recently raised $19 million in fresh investment. Part of that is replacing $10 million that you had received from FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. What do you plan to do with all the new money? Put it in the bank and earn high interest, you know, which is one of the things you can do. That's one of the silver linings of this, t- this high interest rate environment. And spend it very cautiously, honestly. Spend it towards this goal of accomplishing a sustainable, profitable business model as quickly as possible. We didn't originally intend to raise more than the amount required to, to buy back Sam Bankman-Fried. We'd gone out into the market to reopen our original kind of seed round investment to, to deal with this kind of unusual and unfortunate situation. And it turns out we were able to raise basically double what we sent out to, to raise and from some of the best, uh, highest integrity and most professional investors in the world, we decided to take the incremental investment because it's an unpredictable economic environment. We've been on the sort of the edge of a recession for what feels like almost two years now. Uh, the ad markets are in turmoil and seized up and been very tentative and slow. Given the demand and the quality of the investors that we were speaking to, we, we thought it would be a good cautious idea to take some more capital, but the plan is to not expend it right away. The last thing I'd say is that it's just incredible credit to this, to the Semaphore team in the initial period of Semaphore's launch that we were able to, in this environment, one of the worst environments for fundraising in, in our lifetime, that we were able to, to succeed you know, at such a high level against the, these headwinds. And it's because the product came out of the gate 
very mature, extremely high quality. You know, I just came back from Cannes and I can't tell you the number of CMOs and, and important media and advertising executives who just said Semaphore has become their number one read. And uh, whether it's our flagship morning product or our breaking business and financial stuff or our AI coverage, where we're really leading the world is a despite being a small new company. So it's all of that together, the audience, the focused strategy on monetization, the focused approach on events, all of that allowed us to successfully close that sort of incremental round, if you will. But the key is not to let it go to one's head and act irrationally, but rather to, to double down on the sort of the cautious and responsible approach and keep the money in the bank and really bear down on building the sustainable model that we're looking to build. A disappointingly sensible answer. I have one really quick final question, which is, how did you arrive on that yellow color for Semaphore? It was an early conversation with Ben Smith and myself. I think we were at my apartment in, in, in New York, in Soho. And it was really just a general conversation around differentiation. And obviously, that's another, God, my jargon is out of control today, but <laughs> another business word that people think a lot about when they're starting a new brand in a crowded marketplace which is how are you going to be unique? How are you going to be different? And it just occurred to us both that you could immediately be different if you chose and owned a color. I think we, we did a mock-up. We looked at like the 10 leading news brands, quality, global, journalism-based news brands in the world. And we had 10 images of phones with the apps open to the homepage. And you just squint your eyes a little bit and you cannot tell the difference. It's just like black and white. And it's like New York Times, Washington Post. I mean, everything looks the same. And it's almost like they've all these designers have been pulled towards some force that's made them kind of do things more, more similar to one another than not. And of course, the FT stands out for its salmon or pink or whatever you want to call it. And that seemed like a just a very sensible, easy, and powerful way to, to zig whenever else was zagging or to zag whenever else is zigging, whatever the expression is. And then yellow, just, I don't, it's got all sorts of great positive connotations as a color throughout world history. It's the color of the Chinese emperors. It's the color of happiness and joy and, and all sorts of other great associations. So semaphore yellow was one of the best decisions we ever made. Great. Justin, thank you so much for your time and have a great time of great continuing week. to sensibly <laughs> invest your money. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for that, Bron. Interesting interview. How do we think Semaphore's doing so far? I mean, you know, we only have that figures to go on, but I mean, it sounds like it's going pretty well. It's suddenly, again, to not to belabor the comparison to the Messenger, but it does seem like they have a bit more focus, I suppose, on what they're doing. I mean, he's already talking about reaching maybe a profitable quarter sometime soon. And it wouldn't exactly be the first time in recent months that we've seen a case where you can pull out some financial successes during a time of toilet mall if you target high-end consumers. It's interesting that there's so much of their revenue is coming from events. I guess I always assume that when people launch big new digital products, that a lot of their revenue is going to be digital. But it sounds like that's not the case. So a lot of it's from events, which I guess is fine, but... I guess the issue with events is it's slightly hard to scale because however, however you do events, it's going to be very labor intensive to pull off and involves selling a lot of tickets or just providing a lot of lunches or just get, getting a lot of bums on seats, which is just hard work, not massively scalable. 
I guess the other thing is events is not always the safest revenue stream, I guess, as we found during the pandemic. Yeah, I think we can fingers crossed that that was truly an exceptional case. They're still quite susceptible, though, just to disruption. I think one of the interesting things about their events is after the interview, I had a little mosey around their website taking a look at the events. And, you know, you might be expecting, ah, they're going to do a bunch of events that are kind of directly connected with their coverage areas. And that that is true. They're doing stuff on, like, investing in China and the media. But then they're also getting into some quite niche policy areas, I guess I would describe them as. Like, there was one event that they, I think, have already hosted, which is about permitting reform, which does not sound sexy, but... For that reason, it does sound lucrative. Riches in the niches, as they say. Brilliant. Look, thanks for that, Bron. Good to hear from Semaphore. Good to hear that they're doing okay so far. I bet they've got some more revenue streams on the horizon as they get up and running. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Presbyterian Chief, Dominic Bronsford, joined by Presbyterian reporter, Bron Mayer, and expertly produced by adrian bradley please do your best to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if that's if that's something you can do like us you know leave a review so other people can find it and also don't forget to check out the website if you haven't already presgazette.co.uk we can see all our podcasts read all the interviews that are involved and read lots of other good stuff besides thanks for listening Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.